0: Hey please c why here, welcome back to Dopamine. If this is your second or third time listening to this podcast, I hope you'll give it a like and subscribe and uh, leave a rating and review that would really help the channel and um, really get the word out there as to what we're doing here, which is all about uh, focusing on personal empowerment and helping you unlock your potential. We talk about Myers-Briggs, we talk about mental health, we talk about creativity, all sorts of different topics on this podcast. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about, you know, right now the, the politics of the world. Uh, there's been a lot of heightened emotion around the last few years, especially this year in 2020, we're dealing with the coronavirus. We're dealing with a lot of loss. We're dealing with, uh, job loss. We're dealing with a lot of topsy turvy feelings when it comes to the world. And if you have listened to the, or watched rather the social dilemma and listened to the podcast episode that I did in relation to the social dilemma, you'll have a better understanding that there is a lot of reason for heightened emotion around the world at the moment and um, passion that's being brought out of a lot of people and passion that has almost created a uh, heightened emotional state for so many people at a consistent basis. As someone that has dealt with cyclothymia pretty much all of my life, I know that dealing with heightened emotions, mania, hypomania, uh, when your brain is just running on all cylinders, it's, um, heightened with passion or joy or excitement or, uh, pain, anguish, anger, any emotion, really any, any passion towards something that it is really hard to make rational choices. And I'm not just talking about thinker versus feeler stuff. I'm talking about thinkers or feelers making rational choices based on the amount of passion that's going on in their brain, excitement. And if your brain is kind of dizzy and, and, and constantly in a heightened awareness state, it's like constantly being chased by a tiger or vice versa, constantly chasing a tiger and being in this, this constant heightened state is not necessarily great for the human experience. Uh, there, I've probably heard the word anxiety over the last few years, more than I've ever heard it in my life. And it is rampant and consistent. Ram- anxiety is, is related to excitement and it's usually bottled up excitement or excitement in. And I don't mean excitement in terms of joy. Joy is not quite the same as excitement, but like excitement in terms of um, invigorating something that is capturing your attention, that it might be something that has been uh, uh, passionate, something that has taken your control of your mind in a way that is causing this anxiety in you because there's a certain heightened emotion. So this heightened emotion relates to anxiety. It relates to all sorts of different emotions in relation to passion. So I'm talking about this because this morning I read an article that my friend Antonia Dodge from personality hacker posted and uh, on Twitter, and she pointed out or that the article pointed out that oxytocin gets released when it's the hug drug, basically. And, the more that we embrace the hug drug, the more that we feel, uh, let me let me restate that. The more that we feel the excitement from the hug drug of oxytocin in our lives towards a specific thing, let's say you're a dog lover and you really, really love dogs and you put so much love and energy into dogs that it's perfectly viable and possible that that same drug that makes you love a specific thing so much can also make you very much hate and dislike something that does not belong to that specific passion. So if you're a dog lover, you may have a difficult time understanding why non dog lovers exist. And those people are over time, the more passion that you develop for being a dog lover, the more passion that you will feel for those who don't love dogs. And the passion goes in the other direction. So what's actually interesting about thinking about oxytocin is that we we relate it as the hug drug, as good feelings, but it's also very much possible to get uh, addicted to negative feelings. And I have a difficult time talking about positive or negative feelings because I don't really feel like they necessarily exist so much as what I'm trying to say is that there is a uh i'm talking about the association with feeling you know whether or not the feeling itself that you feel towards like um uh, uh dogs you know that's for, for you that's a positive feeling as a dog lover and the feelings that you have towards the heightened emotion that you feel towards non-dog lovers that is a negative association so i'm just talking about associations with feelings not necessarily the feelings themselves i hope that makes sense But what's really interesting in all of this is that, you know, if we relate it to the social dilemma, algorithms, modern sort of extreme heightened emotion, it is making a lot of smart people do very stupid things. And that's because the algorithms tend to feed passion. I don't mean to talk about algorithms as if they are some external force that is causing all of this. Um, There is a aspect of this where that is the case. But what I'm really trying to say is that the, the passion that we already feel for something is heightened by the continual stimulation, the continual awareness of the existence of this thing that is antithetical to what we really enjoy, to what we really love, to what we stand behind, the moral issues that we stand behind the uh, political party we stand behind, the people that we stand behind. And we are constantly being exposed to people who do not represent that. And it often makes us clench harder onto the thing that we love, whether we have passion for in order, you know, as a, as a response to either fear or just generally being heightened about the situation of people around you. So it makes me think about the social dilemma in the sense that, that this is not a feeling that humans are, this is not a sense of, this is not a normal level playing field for a lot of people. So when I talk about my hypomania with cyclothymia, I have experience before these past few years with the heightened emotions. I think a lot of people who have experienced bipolar disorder have <clears throat> the same sort of feeling an idea that when you're in this heightened state, you're not making the best choices. And I suspect that there are a lot of people who are in this heightened state, not making good choices. There are people who have not been devout. Republicans are suddenly being, uh, suddenly preaching about uh, abortion. There are people who have not been extreme liberals who are, obsessed with Black Lives Matter and other issues, right? And even my mentioning those issues might trigger something in you. And I want you to pay attention to those triggers because that's when we talk about being offended, when we talk about triggers, it's, I know it's been very much downplayed by a lot of people who are scrutinizing the emotional reactions that people are having, having to big picture issues. But I want you, the listener The person that's listening to this, the person I'm speaking to, I want you to be aware of when those things trigger you and how your brain feels, how your body feels in those moments. I describe my mania as like a scurrying kind of feeling. Like my brain is like a swimming stream of salmon. Like there's just like a ton of fish going all at once down a river all at the same time. It's just like hectic, it's fast, it's chaotic. And it, it gets my brain into a tizzy. It's just kind of like this shaky Tasmanian devil kind of feeling. And I'm suspecting that that's the case for a lot of people who are perhaps, you know, perhaps are still working on making the unconscious conscious in their life or haven't done any of that at all. And haven't had the opportunity to think about it. Maybe this is the first time you're even thinking about this. And if that's the case, you know, the next time I bring up an issue that, you know, let's say it is a political issue. Let's say I bring up Black Lives Matter or I bring up abortion. Do one of those things trigger you? And what does that feel like when you're triggered by that? And it's not about fixing it. It's not about making you not care about those things. It's about just being aware of when you're being taken control of by the idea. Because what you're really being taken control of is the passion of the thing that you love. And the passion of the thing that you love is actually the thing that is causing all of the hate of the opposite side of the thing that you, you hate. So what I mean is that if you are a, proponent and activist of Black Lives Matter and all of these important social issues, again, not saying that they aren't important, but if somebody brings up something that is antithetical or even talks about abortion or even has some physical features that you associate with someone who is maybe a Republican or someone who is antithetical to those issues, you know, what what feelings are coming up and what does it make you want to do? What does it make you want to say? What is that... What, what are the barriers? What are the, uh, uh, I don't want to say boundaries. What are the, uh, what's the scope of your, the ability to be upset by this thing? You know, where's the boundary basically, where is the line, where's the minimum that someone could do or say that would upset you about it? And how is it taking over your life? And so the challenge here is to, it's not necessarily about letting go of the passion as a whole, but how much is digging your, your feet into the sand a little bit harder or into the dirt a little bit more? How is that making you feel more defensive? It's kind of like when it's kind of like, yeah, using that metaphor of like digging your feet into the sand. If you pick a spot on the beach and you decide this is my spot, and therefore you start kind of digging in and you just settle in, you make a home there and your feet are, you know, you're literally buried in the sand up to your knees. And the further you get buried into something, the more vulnerable it makes you feel because as soon as someone attacks that area or comes close to it, or even looks like they're walking in your general direction, the more that it feels like someone is going to attack you and you're vulnerable because you've dug in, you're less malleable, you're less adaptable and adjustable to varying circumstances and situations. So in the same way that oxytocin has a grip on you with the things that you love so, so much that it cancels out everything else that you have access to, you know, it's the same thing if you're like a devout Republican evangelical that really loves the idea of, of abolishing abortions and really digs your heels into that topic, you know, you're going to do whatever it takes to either get that done or protect yourself and your uh, stance against those things. And again, this applies to so many different things. It It can apply to something as, as, meaningless as the color of the dress that was like a few years ago, man, people had really intense fights over that. Um, you know, they're, they're, we think about politics and and more of the obvious heightened emotion around that stuff, but people are fighting on the internet about innocuous things all the time about the way that someone said something, the words that are being used, uh, to address a certain topic. And I think one of the real challenges here is the malleability of context and that on the internet, all you see is text. All you see is someone writing something and we assign our emotion to what they're saying and how they're saying it. Chances are, if you heard someone say what they're saying, first of all, they may not necessarily say exactly what they're saying if they were saying it in person. But second of all, that there's a pretty good chance that what they're saying, it might be with a calmer tone. It may be with a sense of curiosity it may be, it may actually be with a sense of, of anger or uh, frustration, but there is a difference between assigning, like we get used to the way that we hear ourselves. Like we're a lot of people are self-critical and when you're self-critical, it's kind of easy to get used to that feeling. It's easy to get to get used to the feeling of uh, hearing our own voice, judging ourselves and getting used to hearing, reading someone else's words in our voice over time, that could translate into some of the self judgment that we take with us into the rest of life. Uh, so I'm kind of getting away from the main topic, but the idea here is that, you know, to keep everything even keel is to be almost a little bit careful of what you have intense passion for because if you were to have an intense passion for one specific thing in life, then all of your energy goes towards that thing. And uh, you know, in a lot of instances, that's not a bad thing or it doesn't sound on the surface like that. That's a bad thing. But usually that has a sphere of influence that affects everything else around it, especially anything that seems like a threat. And the further you dig yourself into the sand, the more that things seem like a threat. If you're, if you're, neck deep in sand, virtually anything is a threat. You know, anything that, that isn't just the sand itself is a threat. And that's going to put you into a heightened state constantly. So you can also be in that area on the beach without having to bury yourself in the sand. You can love what you love and still have respect for what other people love or what other people need. And not necessarily get into this place of like, I love dogs so much. Fuck those non-dog lovers. They're the worst. I don't understand how they cannot not love dogs. That doesn't make any sense to me. Dogs are amazing. Dogs cuddle with me. Those people don't cuddle with me. <laughs> and, um, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, that's such a innocent example, but you know, another example could be you know, loving your partner so, so much. And sometimes it is scary to love someone so intensely that the world around you starts to kind of crumble, you know, family doesn't have access to you anymore. Friends don't have access to you anymore. I'm sure we've heard all these stories over and over again of people who have gotten deeply into relationships. I've done this in my life before, for sure, where you get so deeply into a relationship that everything else falls away and anything seems like a threat to the relationship whether it's family friends uh even bosses coworkers uh and and even like insecurity starts to creep in the more that you start to dive deeper into holding on to a partner the the more the insecurity starts to creep in and that anyone around might seem like a threat And if you genuinely have trust and love in yourself and in your partner and are able to expand the sphere of love to more people in your life, and and not to a degree that is intense passion, but just enough, enough love, enough love that you can have all sorts of people in your life. And it's not just about putting all of the stakes, all of the passion of your life into one person and having every emotion that you feel dependent on that person or that ideal or whatever it is. Because again, another part of it is that if you put so much passion into one specific thing, then if that thing fades away or that thing changes or that thing becomes contradictory to whatever your core values are, You're either going to go along with it blindly because the passion is going to help you go along with it no matter what, betraying your own identity and core values, or you're going to completely go into a spiral when this thing goes away, you know? So it's, you think of it with the political ideology or religion, or even with a relationship and partnership or even a career. Honestly, if you are so fixated on trying to get to one specific Place and it doesn't work out, that can send your world into a spiral. So, I, I don't think the answer here is to dig your he- heels in deeper, but to, to let things calm down a little bit, to breathe, to explore other things, and to let yourself appreciate people, ideologies, relationships, careers, other talents, skills. And, and kind of spread it out a little bit, right. In, in regards to a relationship, that doesn't mean like going around cheating or flirting or whatever. I mean, if that's something you're open to in your relationship, then go ahead. But you can appreciate other human beings. Like if it was, a, if it got to the point where I was so attracted to the to my partner that I did not find other women attractive ever, like not even in an attempt to go do anything, but just like not, having the attraction at all, um, that gets to a point where it's a little unhealthy because like your, cause then your single source of attraction of emotional uh, needs and awareness becomes a single pointed thing. And if for some reason the relationship doesn't work out or she passes away or anything like that, then you've got nothing else. And you're probably going to die along with it. And that unfortunately happens to a lot of men who get into long-term relationships or marriages and put everything onto their wives and emotionally onto their wives. They don't develop their own friendships. They don't go and, um, they don't allow themselves to have a life outside of their marriage that it puts everything on their wife and that usually ends up sucking. (laughs) And, and sometimes that happens too. And this is just kind of like a suggestion of an idea, but you know, I've noticed with men in particular that the more that you love your wife, sometimes the more that you start to hate other women because you see them as a threat to your relationship or even other men that your, your partner has friendships with. Right. I'm not trying to make this like a sexist related thing. Um, you know, women are not immune to this idea. I just see this as a pattern with a lot of men, but, uh, you know, women and everyone in between, I think it's the same kind of idea where if you have such an attachment to one person or one ideal, that it's, it's basically arresting, it's emotionally arresting. And frankly, it's a, it's a dependency at the end of the day. The love drug, the addiction to the love drug creates both a dependency on the thing that you love so much that it creates hatred for anything that seems like a threat around it. And the more that you dig your heels in, the greater things feel like a threat. And I think that is important to know that when you're triggered by something, when you're feeling anxiety around something, when you feel like something is a threat in your life when you feel like maybe the things that you've loved before have gotten kind of stale and you've put in all of your passion, putting all of your, your eggs in one basket, you know, what can you do to start to spread that out a little bit and actually get back into life and not be in this constant heightened state of emotion and, and what can you do on an individual level? You know, it's one thing for the, the presidency to change hands and that's an external thing that you have no control over. That's almost just like, that's relief by happenstance, not necessarily relief by choice. So if you can find a way to release some of the tension, some of that intense passion and put it into some other things in your life, even in, t- you'll start to see that you'll have a little bit of respect for other people in other situations, cause there's not as much, there's not as much at stake. And while there are very important issues in terms of, uh, political issues and, uh, yeah, political, ideological, ideological, emotional, important issues and values. I'm not saying anyone should sacrifice their values. I'm saying that to pull your head out of the sand for a second, look around and assess what actually is a threat to your life, to your emotional experience and how much have you created a life for yourself that makes it so that there are more threats around you. And I, I, I wish I came prepared a little bit more with a practical example of how you can start to calm down. I guess I know for me, when I, when I'm, when I'm in mania, I do what I can to avoid self judgment and expectations of myself but then also to avoid judgment of others as best as I can. And I'm, I ultimately what I'm trying to do is, is loosen the reins on my dependent attachment to others, actions or words so that I don't become transfixed with what their actions mean in relation to my emotions. Because what I feel is ultimately my responsibility, like that's what I think as a grown ass man, <laughs> that if, if I'm, you know, if, if for some reason I'm having difficulties in my life, it's not, it's not Molly's problem. It's not my parents' problem. It's not my friend's problem. It's my problem to deal with and they'll be around to support me. And, uh, as, as long as I'm not letting the rest of the world dictate my emotional state, I think that allows me to be more malleable to whatever situation, uh, I come across. So I I think the, the, really the practical thing that I can only give you is that to, when you're starting to feel triggered, to just notice it, just to watch it. And you don't have to place a judgment on yourself or on other people. Uh, you don't have to call someone an idiot or call yourself an idiot. Take a moment to stop. And just log it, write it down, write it in your phone, write it on paper and take notes of what are, what things are upsetting you. Are they particular words? Is it a tone of voice? Is it from a person and start asking yourself questions of like, you know, what am I making assumptions about? What narratives am I attaching to these triggers? that are exacerbating these feelings? How am I digging myself in deeper into these feelings? And I think that's going to be a really important part for you to be able to almost do some self therapy or talk to your therapist about it. Just make notes. If you have a therapist to talk to them about that and see if that's some, some way that you can, um, you can start to kind of claw out of the sand a little bit and spread the love around a little bit more evenly. I don't know that it's possible to love everyone in the world. I, I mean, as far as I know, in terms of the graves levels, uh, spiral dynamics, there's probably a degree of that, but it probably doesn't last forever. Uh, and I think there are going to be people that upset you because there, there are things that you love and you appreciate, you know, I love dragon ball. And if someone says dragon ball is dumb, I'm going to have a reaction. I'm going to feel like, well, this person doesn't know what they're talking about, <laughs> you know, and, but the amount of my, the, the heightenedness of my vitriol is going to depend on how much I emotionally attach to Dragon Ball. You know, if they're, if I, if I love it to the point where it's my everything in the world, then I'm going to want to kill this person, <laughs> you know, like that's the, you know, and then. I think we a lot of us do assign that level of love to something, that level of passion, and it's it's hard to see passion as something that can be challenging. That can be I'm challenging such a vague word. Um, that it's hard to see passion as difficult. It's hard to be. It's hard to see passion as negative. Passion is typically uh, rewarded. Passion. gets people places. Passion gets you the job that you want. Passion gets you the relationship that you want, gets you the uh, achievement that you're going after. And I'm not trying to say that passion is not valuable or viable. I have a passion for Dragon Ball. I love it. I have a passion for Myers Briggs and personality stuff. I have a passion for my partner. I have a passion for the work that I do, but I have multiple passions. And that's really what I'm asking you to do is ask yourself where your passions lie and how deep do each passions go to the point of asking yourself, if someone were to say that the thing that you love is stupid, you know, what would you actually do? Is it serious to the point where you would actually harm them? Then maybe that's worth an assessment to say, like, is this actually worth hurting someone over? Because that's ultimately what we're doing to each other is expressing such intense emotion to each other that it is the equivalent or feels like the equivalent, or is at least displaying the passion to the equivalent of wanting to harm someone, which is intense and sometimes a little dramatic. (laughs) Uh, And that's really the idea here is like, take a moment, assess your feelings and it's okay to be a little bit more even keeled. It's okay to breathe. It's okay to, uh, relinquish, relinquish, relinquish some of the control that this external thing, ideology, religion, moral issues, whatever has over you. Because ultimately, if you're going to serve the passion, the way that you want to serve it, you're going to have to make rational choices. You're going to have to make choices that are of sound mind. And the only way that you're going to be of sound mind is if you're letting go a little bit of the emotional attachment to the passion that you have for this thing. So what do you think? I'm going to pull a, a, a Joel Mark Witt from the Hacker and ask you to share your story in the comments or come to dopamine.life and uh, find some other programs. We have courses, we have uh, articles, other podcast episodes to be able to share your story with me. Uh, leave a rating and review on this podcast and uh, you can connect with me directly at Let's Go C-Note on Twitter and uh, Instagram as well. So if you have a passion that has been holding onto your life and perhaps this episode's made you think about a little bit, I would love to know a little bit more of um, what that is for you. Or if there has been a moment in this episode that made you think, I would love to know all about that. Uh, And also we have, we offer profiling sessions. So Myers-Briggs personality profiling sessions that help you figure out your personality type. If you've been trying to assess where you are and try to uh, maybe you're having some challenges in your life. Maybe you're trying to figure out a career or maybe you're just curious and you've taken a couple personality tests and uh, you don't yet know what your personality is. We go through an assessment and I ask, ask you questions. I verify your type with you. And then we explain in your context, in your life, uh, how you can not only start to Uh, adapt to your personality and be able to bring it with you in more areas of life but how you can actually use it for as a growth tool going forward so um, i'm actually going to let one of my uh, former profiling uh, clients do the talking for a second hi my name is michael i just had a profiling session with cnotes and i really loved it Uh, I actually have been struggling for a long time, hesitating between INTP and INFP. So getting an expert point of view from outside was critical for me. Uh, I really felt in good hands, Uh, I was able to get rid of any doubts I had, I was able to ask any questions and that was really a game changer for me. Uh, Overall I'm really happy with how the session was set up and very happy with the results as well. So I highly recommend working with him. Um, and I want you to thank him again. It was totally worth it. So that's it for this episode. Uh, I hope that makes sense. I'll actually drop the article in the link below, or you can go to my Twitter and um, I just retweeted the article, uh, if you're interested in that. And then also in our, um, description of this episode, We've got our mailing list. And if you are serious about your personal growth, especially if you're an INTP, I tend to specialize in INTPs in the Myers-Briggs system, that if you're serious about your growth and you want to get involved in self-learning in terms of courses or coaching opportunities with me and to be able to you know take your life to the next level, unlock your potential and define a sense of normal for yourself, go ahead and sign up for our email list and there will be opportunities, exclusive content all sorts of things that are coming your way once you do that. And, um, that's it. So I appreciate your being here. Thank you for listening to this. I hope this made some sense. I hope this has helped you in some sort of way. Uh, again, if this is something you appreciate, like subscribe rating and review all of that fun stuff. And, um, that's it. So I appreciate you take care of yourself and each other, and I'll catch you next time on dopamine. See ya one I forgot to mention I'll throw it at the tag here at the end um we have a patreon patreon patreon.com dopamine d-o-p-e-a-m-i-n-e if you want to support um this podcast uh in some sort of financial way that would be really amazing and uh, we also provide information for how to learn the theory of Myers Briggs on our patreon so if that's something you're interested in go ahead and do that there there do that there do that there Go to that there, patreon.com slash dopamine, D O P E A M I N E, and I'll see you over there. Thanks.